As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Welcome to Rates and Barrels, presented by Tops. Check out Tops Project 70, celebrating 70 years of Tops baseball cards. Derek Van Riper here with Eno Saris. It is Wednesday, September 15th. On this episode, we will take a look at the latest surprising turn in the Mets front office. As it appears, Sandy Alderson will be returning for 2022. We don't really know why, but we're going to try and explore what possible reasons the Mets could have for continuing forward on that path. We're going to dig into some journeyman hitters for the bulk of this episode. A lot of interesting names that have been picked up over the course of the season for fantasy purposes. Try to get a sense for who those players are going to be going forward, what kinds of roles they might have, and maybe figure out some common threads that will help us find players like that in the future. And we've got a few emails we're going to try to get to before the end of the show as well. Uh, You know, I think we found out on Monday night after we recorded our last episode that Sandy Alderson is supposed to be returning as the Mets team president in 2022. And when you think about all the things that have happened under his watch with the Mets, the hiring of Jared Porter, Jack, uh, Zach Scott's DUI, the Mickey Calloway situation, all of these things he's been presiding over, I would have assumed he was long gone, even if there was time within his contract, long gone at season's end, because I assumed very wrongly that Steve Cohen would, in fact, clean house and start over. But here we are. And it's not even LOL Mets anymore. It's just, why, Mets? Like, (laughs) why are you this way? What is wrong with you? Why can't you be even just a little bit decent when it comes to making decisions like this? Yeah. And, you know, I think the the, the first name that got floated, uh, you know, the idea would be that, Sandy, you know, the way to square the the two information pieces that we got, we we got this information that Sandy never wanted to run the the baseball operations, you know, the day to day operations. He just wanted to be like a, a a shepherd, you know, bringing the team to its next eventual leader. Well, uh, the Zach Scott, Zach Scott situation doesn't speak well of him of picking the next leader for in the first place, uh, and then the. Uh, the, the second name that would make sense is Theo Epstein coming in. I don't know why he would come in at anything less than uh, uh, president of baseball operations. So that's already a problem in your logic is that like Sandy's going to stick around as president of baseball operations and then make Theo Epstein a GM. <laughs> Not going to happen. <laughs> what? Even like vice president. I think the only way that Theo Epstein shows up is he's the president of baseball operations and he replaces Sandy. So it's like, okay, a good first name floating. Also on top of that, way to float the guy that hired all the guys that you got in tr- that got you in trouble. Way to really learn the lesson. It seems like more of a like f you to everybody to just be like, oh, you think you you got me on the Zach Scott and Mickey Calloway stuff. I'm just gonna get the 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 tree, <laughs> the tree that created these poison fruits. I'm just gonna go right to the source and get the guy that they all studied under. That'll do it. Yep, that'll clean house. That'll fix everything. That'll change the culture, <laughs> right? That'll that'll be the best way forward with the zero tolerance policy that Steve Cohen talked about. 
Yeah, and I would give Theo Epstein uh, like three weeks in, as a, as the president of baseball operations in New York before uh, some unseemly stuff comes out of his history. <laughs> because a, we know that New York has an excellent stable of guys throwing ninety eight with their pens uh, that would that would go hard after this. And then b, there's enough sort of smoke around Epstein if you if you really look for it. I mean, we were talking. Uh, before we got on air about there's this piece um, from Wright Thompson in ESPN, the magazine uh, that I, that I saw Jared Seidler uh, put it on his account. It's a five-year-old piece and it's, it's called, what's it called? The mastermind. It's like, Ooh, like this is, he's the, he's the mastermind. And it's supposed to be like a fawning piece, but Wright Thompson is excellent. I, I think he's a really excellent writer and he does give you a more holistic um, way into what kind of situations that uh, he that that Theo Epstein fosters around, and what kind of uh, culture he would foster. And there's an anecdote in there. It starts out with like, oh, he 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 creates um, an atmosphere where the currency is, uh, pardon my friends, shit, like giving shit and taking shit, as in you know, giving people crap, you know? Um, and, uh, and so he starts like, he's like, oh yeah, you know, he comes in, there's a picture of Jed Oyer faking a kiss with his brother-in-law. Um, and they blew it up really big. Um, and they make fun of Jed Hoyer for it all the time. That's fine. Jed Hoyer at the time of this writing is already kind of AGM, GM kind of, you know, he's an established guy in the game, right? Then it goes on to, um, you know, how he made fun of, uh, a kid coming in on his first day that had uh, green pants on, and he said he's going to win the Masters to complete the suit. Okay, that's, that's some ribbing. Ha <laughs> ha, fun. Um, and then there's a guy now who's the AGM of the of the Red Sox. Um, uh, Epstein comes in and does a dramatic reading of his cover letter that he that he wrote an earnest cover letter that he wrote to 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 apply for the job at the Cubs. And he does a dramatic reading of this of a guy who at that time is more like an intern or a or, or like just a lower a way lower than him on the totem pole, just sitting up there punching down at this guy to the point where in the story it says the guy felt so bad that Jed Hoyer had to come up behind him and make sure the kid was all right. Called him a kid. Uh, come on. I mean, this isn't this isn't something that we need to cancel Epstein about. This is not the any sort of uh, skeletons in the closet I'm talking about. But it points to a guy who is just going to create the same locker room frat house culture that has come before and is not a way for the Mets to kind of get out from these mistakes they've made. It doesn't seem like, you know, it, it, you could actually see how maybe, uh, you know, these people that have gotten in trouble came from, you know, from his front offices. I, I mean, I, there is a bit of a line there to draw. So I, the whole thing is just like, what are you doing? But, I, but then there was like the other thing that was interesting was, you know, we're thinking like, who are the other names, right? Like who, who are some other names that you would, that you would throw out if you were, you wanted to be, uh, you, you were saying, okay, not Theo, then who is it? Who is it going to be? Right, Billy Bean is the name that people were throwing out there for a while. That seems unrealistic. Yeah, I think Billy Bean will leave to run a, a soccer team. I mean, he he's talked about wanting to do that. He's in a, uh, an ownership group that's trying to buy the Manchester Manchester United or bought it or whatever. Um, so he's in a SPAC, which is like one of these things that they make to like buy a team. So he's like soccer is on his radar, I think. Um, what are some other names? That's like the end of the list for the high profile okay, guys. Well. But then the other thing you can start thinking about is, well, okay, who's had recent success? Well, the Dodgers, the Rays, uh -huh. the Astros. You could start trying to pick off people from those organizations. It's going to be really hard to pick something from the Dodgers unless you go down a couple of rungs. Like you're not going to get Friedman because he's already, you know, a top a great organization with a lot of money that, that wins championships. <laughs> it's like, mm -hmm. what are you, you going to offer him? Um, so I guess you could go below him. And but then you start talking about oh okay David Stearns, 
Um, with Milwaukee, you know, maybe give him a bigger market, more money to spend in free agency, bigger, uh, a bigger payroll, that sort of deal. Um, you start talking about uh, the same tree that created uh, Elias, who's with with Baltimore which is the Astros tree. So right now there's like an Astros tree and a Rays tree and an Epstein tree. The Epstein tree is not doing so well. I have to be honest. The Astros tree is doing really well. Um, although I guess the Red Sox are faltering a little bit, but, uh, but the, Ast- the, 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 I say, was that the Astros tree? I said the Rays tree is doing pretty well everywhere it's going. It's faltering a little bit in Boston, but it also creates this sort of commodification of the player. Uh, uh, we don't keep anyone past age 26, kind of, you know, everyone is fungible and tradable at any given time. The Astros seem to uh, do some cool things in terms of retaining some players and not just always trading guys. Um, and, uh, you know, when Stearns went to Milwaukee, signed the big deal for Christian Yelich, which is kind of cool. We'll keep a, a figurehead, a place, a face to the franchise for a long time. Um, but uh, the Astros tree has its own skeletons in the closet. I'm mixing metaphors. Well, sure. But... I mean, it, it's just it, <laughs> it, it's a different type of problem altogether. Obviously, these these yeah. these things are not all apples to apples. But I think it, it leads you to this question: If you are in the position of Steve Cohen, or a rare position to own a baseball team, but if you're hiring someone, if you're even a team president, and you're trying to hire someone to run baseball operations, the Rockies could be an example of this right now, right? Maybe you want to make a change in Colorado. You're not going to to keep your interim GM. You're going to actually hire a different GM. Where do you want to go right now? Who do you actually want to hire in baseball? Thinking about all these different factors that would be important. Do you go to a current team's AGM, right? If you like Stearns, but you can't get Stearns, do you go to Matt Arnold, who went to Milwaukee from Tampa Bay? Like A hire like that makes a lot of sense. Is it the Mm -hmm. splashy, sexy hire that the, the people following the team on a casual basis want? No, but you know what? Mets fans want to win. Yeah, is it the back page winner? Who cares? You're not trying to win the back page. You're trying to win. Like they haven't. This, this is amazing. They have, I think, nine seasons now since Sandy Alderson was first hired. He was gone for two years. They have two winning seasons in nine years. And everyone remembers the one because they went to the World Series that one. Yeah, and they lost to the Royals. It's like, what? What are you doing? Why keep running it back with someone aside from and it's everything? Not we just for talked lack about. of payrolls. I mean, even though people were mad that the Mets didn't pay more, didn't spend more. I mean, they were still spending at 150 clips and like. Yeah, they, they weren't living in Piratesville. Right. So I, I think you, I, you have to go more down a path like Matt Arnold. I'm just naming him as one example. It, it's not mm-hmm. going to be someone who's been a GM before necessarily. I, I think that's probably the better path for the Mets. That's what why I would, the, would want them to do. Why do the Rays promote Neander? Yeah. Keep him out of these conversations. Right. But it, And it's funny because the Rays keep having guys get hired from below that position. That's what happens time and time again. James Click, who actually I think, and I've never, I don't like spend a lot of time looking at GM Wikipedia pages, but this is like a very thin Wikipedia page for someone who's the the GM of a, a successful ball club right now. I could read it in like 30 seconds. Early life. Click is from Durham, North Carolina. He graduated from Yale University. He wrote for Baseball Prospectus. Career. Tampa Bay Rays. Click joined the Tampa Bay Rays as an intern in 2005. The team hired him for their front office in 2006. He became vice president of baseball operations in 2017. Houston Astros in January 2020. Wow. Click was hired by the Houston Astros as their general manager. That's it. That's his whole page. But that's how long he was with the Rays? From 2006 to 2017? Yeah. Yep. Intern in 05. Hired in 06. VP of baseball operations in 17. GM of the Astros starting in January 2020. Yeah. I remember reading him. That's, uh, you know, yeah, that's it. And, and, uh, it's all, it's interesting how this all like coincides with title inflation and stuff. And the reason why even, I think that probably the reason why, um, the Royals made, um, they made him Dayton Moore, Dayton Moore, the president of baseball operations was to save JJ Piccolo maybe. Cause by, by making him a GM, that means to hire him away, you need to offer him vice president of baseball operations at least. Because you can't really, the way that the rules work is you can't really hire some away, someone away with the same title. Yeah. So maybe they thought J.J. Piccolo was somebody they had to hold on to and uh, they didn't want him to be hired away to be a, uh, a GM. 
So, I mean, we're not a Mets podcast. We'd never want to be a Mets podcast, but this is just one of the biggest WTF stories that will not go away anytime soon. Uh, we did have a, a question come in from Josh about what the Mets are doing uh, in the in the sense of uh, what are they going to do if they let Luis Rojas go? Do you think they should retain Jeremy Hefner as their pitching coach for the new regime? So basically, are you seeing enough good in Hefner's work with the pitchers to believe that he could actually be a holdover if they make a lot of other changes on the coaching staff? I mean, um, it's hard to know where to assign credit and blame always with coaches and players. Stroman's having a very good year. Um, he does a lot of his own sort of self-coaching and, and has people he works with. Um, but, uh, you know, who's, who's having a really terrible year under Hefner? I think Hefner is doing all right. Uh, David Peterson did not take a step forward, but to me, it's unclear that, that David Peterson is, um, like a very good prospect or anything. Yeah, he's a back-end guy. I don't think right. there's a massive ceiling there that he he's failing to reach. I mean, Taiwan Walker has been good. Tyler McGill's been a nice story. Uh, the bullpen, I think, was pretty solid coming into the season. But there's nothing in the in the overall body of work from the pitching staff that, that, you, could, that you could say is like, yeah, Jeremy Hafner needs to go. I, I don't think that's the case at all. It might just be the case. Where I don't even think it's clear that Rojas has to go. But uh, I think there's a little bit more of just a, a question of, how the roster fits together. It's always been kind of uh, clunky. Uh, it seems like they don't really pay attention to defense, um, especially in like center field. They just kind of put guys out there a lot. Um, I don't know. What, why, why are the Mets failing? Why, why do the Mets fall apart? Injuries consistently, right? Yeah. It's a huge There's part of it. Definitely something they need to think about with injury. In fact, um, one of the secret uh, things that people don't talk about so much uh, here in in San Francisco about their success has been a real investment in injury prevention. There's a lot of people around the game who think that's the uh, major sort of money ball, um, uh, you know, kind of the way that teams can separate themselves. And if you look at the way. Uh, the Giants run their rosters out. I mean, I don't know how many times I've looked and been like, where's Chris Bryant? You know? Um, and they're just always, there's healthy scratches. They made such a big team and made such a good bench that there's just always healthy scratches. And it's always uh, because of something they've seen or something they've spotted or, or you know, something in the numbers that, that tells them that this guy's a little bit fatigued. The Mets don't seem to be doing that. They run a guy out there until he's done, and then they put him on the and then they wait too long. They do this thing with the IL where they're like, "Oh no, he's just uh, he's out for a couple games because he's hurt. Uh, we'll get him back in here soon." And then like four days into it, they'll put him on the ten day IL, and you're like, "Dude, it's just ten days, man. You know, like you could have if you just done that from the beginning, would have been better in better shape than like continuing to show up at the ballpark and trying to get ready for the game." So I definitely think there's uh, there's something we said here for uh, how they treat injuries. Their offense is kind of woefully underperforming. I could see, I could see looking at the, you know, I know I like Hugh Qualabong, but like looking at the hitting coaching process or looking at the hitting the the players, there's an obvious paucity of, of power. Ooh, you like that paucity? Very good. (laughs) Uh, And let me do them by barrel rate. I, I'm assuming this is going to go poorly for them. 23rd in barrel rate. Yeah, that's if you said guess based on the WRC plus, they're 96 in WRC plus, so they're tied for 15th. Actually tied with San Diego. And Philadelphia is just a tick behind them at 95. I don't think of those three offenses being the same. I definitely think of the Padres and Phillies as having better offenses than the Mets, but all three of them seem like underperformers. I mean, they have one really good barreler in Pete Alonzo and then JD Davis is is decent Baez is good but he's a you know a short-term player and then everybody else is pretty bad at that at that really kind of important skill yeah Conforto actually decent barreler Uh, then there's to some extent just the down year syndrome right like uh, to some extent Lindor McNeil and Conforto all had down years at the same time right I mean, that's, that's absolutely a part of it. So it, the common threads are recurring problems with injuries and Sandy Alderson. That's it. Yeah, shooting themselves in the foot with messaging, with PR, 
with uh, front office personnel. That I mean, that's not a good sign. No, that that that, that doesn't mean that doesn't suggest to me that they're also then going to do a really good job with other things. So they're going there. That means that they're going to be spending a lot of organizational energy dealing with whatever their most recent mess up is. You know. Yeah, I think it just creates that cloud over the organization that we've talked about before, where players are answering questions about ridiculous things that shouldn't have happened that become huge stories because they just keep doing it over and over and over again. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep. You heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Uh, but I think we should talk about some of these journeyman hitters because I think there's a, a lot to kind of pull apart in that conversation. You put together a group of, of bats that I think every one of these players has played for at least two different major league teams or in two different major league organizations. Most have played in even more than that. And I'm curious, what got you thinking about this group of players uh, in particular? Well, there was a conversation um, that I was having with um, Dennis Lynn about sort of the differences between the Padres and the Giants. And one thing that the Giants have done um, the entire time they've been there, uh, that Farhan Zaidi's been there at the helm, is keep like a roster slot or two open in the 40-man, right? Just to be able to make waiver claims. And they've used it, you know, at the beginning it was a joke, Right. And, uh, and interestingly, one of these guys on this list, um, that maybe we can share in the notes or whatever, um, uh, is Connor Joe. And at the beginning, it was kind of a joke. It seemed like a joke that people were just running through. I actually asked Mike Stremski at some point, like, well, how does it make you feel that like everyone seems to come in here and have like two weeks, you know, to prove themselves before they're gone, you know, <laughs> uh, because he would just kind of cycle through these guys. Connor Joe was their opening day left fielder in San Francisco. And then he, he was gone like three weeks later, it, it seemed like. So, uh, uh, just by keeping that spot open, they've done things this, this year, like, uh, Jose Quintana. Um, I think that they, and they also, um, what was it? It was like, they did this thing where they like claimed Wandy Peralta on waivers, pitched him in the bullpen for two weeks, traded him for Mike Taukman when they had an injury problem in the outfield, played Mike Taukman for two weeks in the outfield or three weeks in the outfield. And he, you know, had some pretty good defensive plays. Then DFA Talkman and, and claimed the next guy. You know what I mean? Like they just have these like high velocity spots and they have an eye out for claiming guys. And I think better teams need to do that. What you'll see here for the most part is either bad teams because it's easier for them to open up a spot. So Connor Joe ended up on Colorado. Ramon Urias ended up in Baltimore. Uh, Lane Thomas is the only one on this list that wasn't a waiver claim, but I, I just felt that he belonged. Um, he was traded for John Lester to the Nationals. Uh, Yoshi Tsutsugo uh, is on the Pirates. Patrick Wisdom and Frank Schwindel are on the Cubs. Anna Duvall is on the Braves, I believe. Yes. Yes, he's on the Braves. Tyler Naquin is on the Reds. And all of these guys other than Lane Thomas were waiver claims at some point. And uh, uh, it's just interesting to think about how much value these teams could benefit from picking up these guys and giving them a long chance. You know, I think a fair amount of these could end up into at least three or four year players, right? 
three or four years of a guy you just picked up off a waiver. You didn't spend a draft pick. Like you didn't, you didn't spend the, you didn't give him a draft bonus. You didn't give him a free agent deal. Like you just, you just picked him up. Um, and, uh, so I, I, I wanted to look at this list and see like, you know, first of all, why would you pick these guys up? What, you know, is there a common thread? And then second of all, for us, like how, which one of these guys do we think is most likely to stick um, and uh, provide value to us and to, to, to fantasy teams and to their teams uh, going forward. Yeah, and I would say that while Patrick Wisdom probably gives you just a little something to be excited about if you're a Cubs fan still watching games at this point in the season, 26 homers in 96 games, he's running a K rate just under 40%. Like That probably disqualifies him from being someone we're talking about in the future, even though the barrel rate and the hard hit rate are off the charts good. When he connects, it's great. He just doesn't connect nearly enough and a player like that even on a rebuilding team even with those home runs they're going to look at that profile and say thanks but we're going to try somebody else or maybe you're our opening day third baseman while in the rebuild but like we're looking to upgrade <laughs> that spot you know kind of deal um not to uh not to laugh at wisdom he might he might be in for the rookie of the year but um another thing that uh, comes to mind when i look at wisdom he's he's uh, 29 years old um, this is also relevant, I think, to Adam Duvall, who's 32 years old, is that Jeff Zimmerman recently looked at aging curves again, and he split he split the aging curves into 2005 to 2012 and 2012 to 2019. So he had these two seven years, you know, groupings. But the the second year, the second grouping, 2012 to 2019, is kind of modern baseball, right? That's Statcast era for the most part. That's uh, where the strikeout rate exploded. Uh, you know, that's that's what uh, we're looking at. And so he looked at aging curves, and overall, batters are aging a little bit worse now than they used to. Um, but when he looked at the components, he was like, well, power is actually aging better now than it used to. Um, uh, batting average on balls and plays aging about the same. Uh, walk rate is aging about the same. Oh, look, it's strikeouts that are aging much worse than they used to. And in fact, the line after the age of 30 is about twice as steep now in terms of aging. Uh, a batter between his age uh, 30 and 34 seasons used to lose, uh, used to add one percentage point to his K rate. Now he adds two percentage points, you know? Um, and I think of that when I look at this, this listing and I see, you know, Duvall, I love the power. He's been surprisingly useful. I think he will be uh, a waiver claim late, late season trade, uh, righty platoon, mostly for the rest of his career. I think he may have one more year of kind of full-time play, but with a K percentage of 31, being 32 years old, you can already kind of push that to 32, 33 in the next couple of years. Uh, that's going to make his lack of wall. That's going to put a lot of pressure on his lack of walk rate. It's going to put a lot of pressure on his already 285 OBP this year. Um, and he's going to have to hit a ton of home runs to, to make that work. So I don't think... Uh, Duvall is going to be like a great pick next year. Um, and, and I think that's a, a problem for wisdom. But uh, Schwindel right there is, is kind of interesting. Not a very good barrel rate. Uh, very good strikeout rate. Not a very good uh, eye at the plate in terms of he doesn't walk much and he doesn't discern balls and strikes very well. He's 29 years old, so you could say he could add strikeout rate. But at 16% strikeout rate, he can add strikeout rate and still be an asset there. Um it's just a really interesting profile all the way through where it's like, okay, good-ish power. The OBP could be much worse next year. Um, I don't know. What do you think about Frank Schindel? It's, uh, it, I, would you draft him next year? I think it's more likely that he stays on the Cubs roster for all of 2022 than Patrick that Wisdom is, does that because I agree. of yeah. the way Ks are the problem here. It's it's weird to me. I, I would have guessed if you said, oh, yeah, Frank Schwindel, it's got a dozen homers in 47 games. What's his barrel rate? I would have said, I don't know, 10, 11 percent. No, 8.7. Yeah. It's a little lower than you'd expect. It's really strange. Uh, you know, looking at the O swing percentages for all these players, he's at the higher end of the range, kind of closer to a Duvall, even though he strikes out less than Duvall. So that lack of discernment with the strike zone is pretty unusual. It's like he can, I don't know, it's like he can hit balls that he shouldn't hit or something. And that's why the K rate stays down. But yeah. he's not doing enough damage because he's hitting balls that he shouldn't hit. You don't want to make a, a career out of hitting balls outside the zone. We've talked about how poor that age is, and he's 29 already. 
Right. So I, I don't, I, this is not me saying, oh yeah, he's going to be great for a long time. It's just that I, I think there's a, there's a better reason to stick with him than there is with wisdom if I have to choose between the two. The Duval thing, though, is kind of interesting because this is one of his, his good years. His range seems to be that of about a, a one to two and a half win player when he's good like he is right really now. Extremely not valued by the market. That, right. That he's exactly <laughs> exactly the kind of player that will get non-tendered, probably get a major league deal, probably end up playing more than we think. I think he could end up being a decent fantasy option. It kind of just depends on, on price like it always does right. because he's such an accumulator. And there's yeah. there's kind of like a, it's sort of like Randall Gritchick too. Like, I don't actually think I want Randall Gritchick on a team if I'm like running right, a team and trying it, yeah. to win a World Series. Obviously, he's on a team that could win the World Series, but they've got a bunch of other guys who are a lot better than him in that lineup. That's, mm-hmm. that's, all, that's how it all works. But from a fantasy perspective, you look at guys that just pile up numbers like that. Randall Gritchick's going to finish this year probably with about 25 homers, 90 plus RBIs, 65 to 70 runs scored, and a 251 average. In a league where you had to start five outfielders, that absolutely plays from start to finish throughout yeah. the season. I think and Duvall's got 35 homers and 100 plus RBIs. So, yeah, like I Duvall's mean, I, kind I of a similar a similar profile where that that it's not like a, a keeper profile or a dynasty profile, but it can be a good it's like a oatmeal NL league glue. only three dollar player profile. Yep, because it's not pretty and it doesn't look good through the sabermetric <clears> lens, right? <throat> Both these guys, they don't walk nearly enough. I just could see him hitting like 180 next year and dropping out of the lineup. I don't know. I mean, yeah, that that's that's definitely part of the doubt. Da- that, that's why you're getting him for three bucks, right? Right. But yeah, I mean, there's there's always uh, some shots to take there. I think uh, I think if Schwindel costs the same, I would go for Schwindel. But I think maybe Schwindel will cost more um, because he's hitting 335 with 12 homers. I mean, some of the the top line stats look great, and then people will also see that strikeout rate and like him for it. Um. The uh, the there there is one thread that that connects all these guys uh, to me, and it's not barrel rate because you have a barrel rate that ranges from six point four at Lane Thomas on the bottom end to fifteen percent and or fifteen point nine with Patrick Wisdom, uh, so that's a fairly wide range of barrel rates. It's not strikeout rate because you've got Frank Schwindel from sixteen to Patrick Wisdom at thirty nine point eight. They're not the same team. Claim both those guys, right? But here's something that Schwindel and Wisdom have in common. Schwindel, who has half the barrel rate of Wisdom, has a 112.5 max EV, and Patrick Wisdom has a 114.2 max EV. And the range for all these guys is 109 to 114, which might sound kind of large, but it isn't because 108 is where plus max EV begins. So every single one of these guys has plus max EV. It's the question of plus max EV or elite max EV. Uh, exit velocity um and so i don't know man that looks like a reason to pick somebody up it's kind of like what farhan zaidi said about uh picking up uh i forget who it was uh drew pomerantz or somebody he he saw he said he saw the pitcher throw 94 and that was good enough they picked him up and they said why was well he threw 90 like he threw 94 through 96 like we know he has that in him right so Max EV is, we know he has that in him. Yeah, I think the the other interesting thing here is that when you hone in on the same skill for players to be picked up like this, you, you can almost predict a little bit more of like who, who's next to bounce around, right? I mean, if you're mean Mercedes had a position, he's 13th in max exit velocity. If you lower the, the batted ball events down to 25, which makes that a massive group. Jeez, that's like several hundred players 553 players qualify on that list and he's but where you know 13. what does Tsutsu does Tsutsugo have a position and he he got claimed right yeah you know he has a lower max EV I don't know there's I think there's another chance for your mean out there right I, I think it goes back to finding value in a place where you know there's not a lot of risk and if you find that in a minor trade which was the case with Lane Thomas since he went back to Washington in the John Lester deal or you get it as part of a claim or it's like a throw-in player in a trade or it doesn't matter like how exactly you get these players but finding two or three years of someone that plays a lot is actually a pretty big win from a, like a scouting and, and ops perspective so Satsugo I think is, is just is hard to figure out because came over from Japan had some playing time issues like the Rays were somewhat patient with them early on last year if I remember correctly and then they 
tapered they off quite a bit. We're still playing him, even though he was yeah for a while. Yeah, like still they him. they gave him a good look. He ends up with the Dodgers, gets regular run at AAA for a while this year, which I almost wonder in a weird way if that helped him kind of just get some things back in order. Because the, the hardest thing for all these guys as journeyman types is up and down players usually between AAA and the big leagues. I don't know how you get better at hitting big league pitching when you're not seeing it regularly. Yeah. So like the Frank <laughs> Schwindel problem is, okay, yeah, he's 29. How many chances has he had to see big league pitching and to adjust to big league Very pitching? Very few, right? I Very mean, how many, few. What is this? Before this year, he had... 15. 15, play 15 career plate appearances in the big leagues. So you can't look at him and say, well, this is absolutely who he is because he's 29. Like I, I realize there's less growth potential for a 29-year-old, but if you, you want to see more than 194 plate appearances before you decide a player can't hack it, I, I would agree with that. You want to give him more time. So I could see him at least getting a couple of months to begin 2022, depending on how thrifty they want to be and who else is out there and a mm-hmm. bunch of factors that are way out of his They're control. They're not going to spend money on a first baseman unless unless by some fluke they get Rizzo back. But Yeah, I don't think that's going to happen. I think they kind of that's a that bridge has been crossed. Yeah. Uh, and Thomas, I think Thomas might be... Hey, Thomas and Connor Joe are probably the two most interesting players that you flagged for today. Well, I, I just wanted youngest. to point out, I, I, I'm like, you're talking me into Schwindel a little bit, but that low bail rate, uh, Bat X uh, projects him to be an 89 WRC plus, which is terrible for a first baseman. Yeah, it doesn't stick very that's, long. That's not, and that, and that's only with going the strikeout rate going to 19. It's just not giving him enough power, and it's not giving him any OBP. So it gives him kind of uh, Duval with less power kind of deal, even though he doesn't strike out. So I don't know. It's a I, I'm a little bit on the fence with Schwindel and Sutsugo. Um, you know, but that I'm in I'm in the tank for three of these players. I I like three of these players: Connor Joe, Ramon Urias, and Lane Thomas. Those are the three I like. They all have decent barrel rates. They all have manageable strikeout rates. They all have good walk rates, and they have the three best eyes in this group in terms of uh, reaching at pitches outside the zone. I think that's going to give them the the nice thing is when you have an eye is it it gives your team value when you're in slumps i'm wondering you're um, still you're still getting on base if you're in a slump wondering with lane thomas too from a fantasy perspective if if part of the added appeal is that he has a few different ways that he can help us i mean he can run a little bit we've seen stolen bases from him throughout his time in the minors he's uh, four for seven at the big league level so far this year in 60 games that could be a dozen or maybe 15 steals over the course of a season especially if he's on a team that doesn't worry too much about success rate because they're just trying to manufacture runs uh, a bit younger than some of the other guys here. K rate's not bad. I think he projects by the bat to be closer to just a league average sort of hitter. So then you start looking at things like, okay, does Lane Thomas have defensive value? Cause some of these guys don't have any, right? I would say that mm-hmm. Frank Schwindel doesn't really have any defensive value, but if you could play all three outfield positions capably, even if you're only good in the corners, that matters too. That kind of factors in to how teams are going to view you as a player. I wonder, here's who I think Lane Thomas could be. I think Lane Thomas could be like another Austin Slater, which maybe that's not the mm. most exciting thing in the world, but that plays, and sometimes 15, guys 10, like that, yeah, someone gets hurt, and a guy like that plays more, and they do a little 15, bit more than 10. that. Yeah. Yeah. Also, what I like about Thomas, Urias, and Joe is they play in good parks. So, you know, in shallower leagues, if you had them, if it didn't turn out to be the best outcomes for them, they could still be home away platoon bench bench pieces for you where mm-hmm. you pay you play Joe when he's in Colorado you play Urias when he's in Baltimore and Washington is sneaky uh, homer friendly so uh you know Austin Slater in Washington would also hit more homers you know Good so point. even even if the comp holds in a true talent sort of sense um you know he might he might have you might get to 18 or 20 homers uh just because of of Washington um, and the, and the name we haven't mentioned is Tyler Naquin, um, who just, he has the worst eye on this, on this, uh, group of this grouping, like going to be one of the worst, uh, uh, walk rates. And so probably one of the worst OBPs going forward. Uh, but the barrel rate is good. The max EV is good. And the park is good. Um, I'm going to, I have like Tyler Naquin for like a buck in auto new and I'm, I'm going to struggle with it because 
he could be a useful bench piece as a $3 outfielder in Cincinnati. Yeah. My projections don't think it's a fluke because you see the 113 WRC plus this season. The bat X has him at 108 the rest of the way. So it doesn't look like a crash is coming offensively. They like the batted ball stats. I can see that the barrel rate and the max EV are good. So uh, he's, he, you know, I think that Naquin and Thomas are probably like sort of second level Joe. I mean, I think that they're just going to run Joe out there. I mean, he, he's not going to hit a ton of homers, but he's a professional hitter in a way that they don't have. Right. And they're going to be kind of a rebuilding squad. I think they're going to run Joe out there and he's going to have a great OBP and hit, you know, 18 to 20 homers and uh, and uh, probably have a decent average because he doesn't strike out that much. So I think Joe's a really hard player to project because he's been old for the level. And, and mm-hmm. you know, it, he's a great story, by the way, that the. The power looks legit, even though it's been old for the level. And I think you're right. The plate skills, he's not only drawing walks, but he's also controlled strikeouts everywhere he's been. Mm-hmm. I'd be stunned if the Rockies didn't want to keep him. I mean, they've made they've made bad decisions before. <laughs> they, they should they should keep him and they should give him 500 plus plate appearances and, and see what happens. And in that park, especially, it could be a, a kind of a special year for him fantasy wise in 2022. He's like the opposite of Sam Hilliard. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Yes. If you could smush those, yeah. So many times I thought, like, if only you could smush these two players together, <laughs> you'd have one really awesome one. Mm-hmm. Um, but no, I think I think Connor Joe could be the best of this group. Um, Urias, though, uh, I think you know it's the same thing as with Baltimore, with with Baltimore as it is with Colorado, which is they just kind of need players, you know. And he looks like at least a league average player. I think you know. And they probably can't say that about a lot of the other guys. So they're going to have a need either at shortstop or second base or third base or whatever. And he's going to be able to fill it. And he's going to do it better than Michael Franco. And even if the bad X projection is only for 95 WRC plus, that's going to be maybe that has something to do with the Baltimore, uh, you know, park factors and stuff. And it's still going to play well in Baltimore. So for me, he next year, he's like a 250 hitter with like 20 homers. And pretty decent runs in RBI with the time, yeah. Assuming assuming they give him the regular time, I think they give him the regular time. I think he's a really good uh, deep league player. He's probably not a great twelve team player. No, I, I don't know if we'll get to him in twelve teamers really at any point next season. But for your AL onlys and for draft and holds, which I think we'll probably do a, like a draft and hold strategy show sometime around November because those launch, I think either before Thanksgiving or just after Thanksgiving, early December. It's a fun format if you haven't played it. It, it. it makes guys like Ramon Urias very draftable because you know if he doesn't play every day, he's probably going to play at least semi-regularly, and job security ends up being huge in a format like that, just having options, especially guys that can play multiple spots. So uh, I love digging in on these players because they they will pop up in a lot of our leagues if not right away in 2022, at some point, because they, they're showing something. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions it is interesting too just going back to Satsugo for a second I I think there was a lot being made maybe on this show and a few other places just about how hard he was hitting the ball in Japan and I think that does matter and we're still talking about a guy that's only had 379 plate appearances so far in the big leagues and half of those came in a pandemic year which I mean talk about all the the adjustments that players coming from any other country are, are trying to make 
when they get here anyway, but then, you know, tack a pandemic on top of that. It, it seems easier than ever to give a player in that situation a pass for what happened in 2020, like at any point. I know this year looks very similar on the surface, but the way this year is ending does give me just a glimmer of hope that Sasugo could maybe be a good part of the hitter we thought he was going to be when the Rays signed him. But I don't know if he's going to get that chance. The contract was a two-year deal. So we'll see if he actually finds a, a taker in North America or if he ends up going back and, and playing in Japan again. Yeah, and the the offers may be competitive. You know, When you're talking about that sort of player, he may be looking at around a million bucks either way. You know, um, yeah. so uh, he may he may end up going back, um, which is too bad because we wouldn't have gotten to see the whole the whole shmeal, the whole shmeal. Uh, that's a word that came out of my mouth. Hmm. Um, uh, Jake Berger, baby. Have we already done that? We did do a Jake Berger segment. Yeah. Okay. Well, I just wanted to point out a uh, good Max EV guy. What about this Justin Williams guy? He's popping. He's been hurt. I think. All season, I have him stashed away in NL labor on my IL. And I feel mm. like I haven't seen any updates on him coming back or anything. Oh, man. He's one of these guys where he's humming along with, you know, 15 to 18% strikeout rates in minor leagues and then gets to the major leagues and it's all of a sudden he's a 30% strikeout guy. So yeah. Crazy. I got to write a piece about that at some point. Yeah, I'm looking. He's played a little bit at AAA this year. He's got a hamstring injury again now. I mean, he's got. Really nothing left to prove at, at AAA at this point. But another guy that just needs an opportunity. 115 max EV is pretty impressive. 11% bail rate. What's his, uh, what's his eye like? Not good. No, not a very good eye. Andrew Young, David Bodie. You know who's Andrew a- Young can't make, any, can't make any contact. No, but you know who's starting to make more contact and he pops on this list is Bobby Dahlbeck. I saw the the tweet. I think it was Jason Master Donato threw this out there. He's like, I'm I'm trying to understand the last five weeks from from Bobby Dahlback. I just retweeted it and just wrote same because yeah. I thought I had him sort of figured out as just the guy that wasn't going to make enough contact. When he makes contact, he does damage. The story is pretty simple to figure out, but he's showing us in these last few weeks maybe there's just a little bit more there. I think if we go back to even the beginning of August. Dahlbeck is hitting 314 with a 391 OBP and a 735 slug. That spans 35 games, 11 home runs during that time. A 27% K rate works when you hit the ball as hard as he does. 9.6% walk rate, just enough in the walk rate category. Are you buying the late season adjustments that you're seeing from Bobby Dahlbeck? Because he does a lot of things that we like. Dude, he has a, a strikeout rate in the 20s for like the last 20 games. Mm-hmm. I I graphed, uh, you know, they have these, these this graphing tool on Fangraphs where you can do by game rolling stats. And I graphed uh, O swing against K percentage, and I was expecting to see more of a um, improvement in his reach rate, but I don't see it. So I don't know exactly what it's coming from. It would take a, a larger uh, deep dive, I think, in terms of maybe uh, it has something to do with what he's swinging at. Um, he probably uh, has identified some sort of better strategy at the plate um, in terms of maybe just honing in on on certain pitches uh, that he can actually make contact with. Um, so I don't know. Yeah, I guess, you know, he's always, this type of player always represents the kind of biggest boom-bust ability, you know, where... You know, you look at it and you say, oh, I don't want to be, I'm not into that because of the strikeout rate, it's probably not going to work out. But if it does work out, he's going to hit, you know, 250 next year with 40 bombs, you know. That's the kind of skill set he has. Arguing against myself, if I think we need to see more Frank Schwindel before drawing a conclusion, we're talking about Patrick Wisdom as a guy that has had, he had fewer than 100 career big league plate appearances before this season, so... Uh, maybe the Cubs are doing their due diligence and letting him play as much as they let him play so far this year. I just wonder at what starting point with K percentage are we high enough where the big step forward that we would like to see is still not enough? Could still not be enough. Yeah, like that's I kind mean, of the concern. Dalbeck is projected for a thirty-five percent strikeout rate. If if he takes a big step forward, he strikes out thirty percent of the time next year, and that's doable. Right. Yeah, like five, projecting more than like a 5% change, he's at 39% next 
And was he projected for? Oh, he's got to be projected for something close to that. 30, okay, it's not that much different. 36. 36%, yeah. But the likelihood that Dahlbeck, in terms of probabilistic thinking, the likelihood that Dahlbeck takes a 3% increase, a, a decrease in the strikeout rate is way higher than it is for Wisdom. By the way, Bobby Dahlbeck is 26. I don't know why in my mind I thought he was 23. Oh, good Lord. I, how did thank you why, for pointing why are that you, out but why it's are still, you 26 it's bobby doll it's it is true, true. It's no it, true. It, it is but a little bit less true <laughs> but he's st- yeah, usually he at 42.4 even with the new aging curves usually people's strikeout rates improve only until about 26 but i think there the, that's also kind of like what does one player who plays a lot in one season do the next season right that's not quite the same thing as dollback right because you you're still trying to figure out what his true talent strikeout rate is. Yeah. And and again, it came up in the pandemic year, played 23 games, had a 42.4% K rate. So this is already a pretty big improvement. And I don't know how much we can use 2020 as a starting point for any player with our analysis for a number of reasons. Yeah. But I think it's fair. He still sort of generally belongs in that wisdom bucket where I'm like, yeah, some of these guys work out, but it's a little bit like the kind of crazy wild pitcher that has no command. I'm like, yeah, okay, maybe. I mean, it really could. If he, everything comes together, he could be Tyler Glass now, sure. Who's the first pitcher that popped into your head when you made that description? Because Tyler, the first Tyler pitcher Glass that... Now. Okay, Glass now. Because <laughs> I thought Daniel Cabrera. Yeah, well, that didn't work out. No. And the other name that always comes to mind is Henry Rodriguez. Oh, yeah, yeah. That's a good one, too. Everybody probably had a different name, though, pop in their head. I wonder <laughs> the, the range of names. Well, I was trying to names. make the positive point, so that's why Glass now came up. But, yeah, if you yesterday I actually uttered the name Henry Rodriguez. So, yeah, Henry Rodriguez is my first in the other way. Yeah. You know, it, it's just it's funny how that works. We just have these memories attached to players, and, and sometimes it's uh, for a particular reason. Uh, we had this email come in from one of our listeners, and comes from long email Andrew, and we were talking about Josh Callmenter on Monday's podcast. So we got an email, and the subject line was Josh Callmenter Award Story, and I'm like, <laughs> what on earth is this email going to be? It's a cool email, so I'm gonna I'm gonna share it for everybody here. Hi, DVR and Eno. I always listen to the podcast, but never email in. But since you brought up Josh Callmenter on Monday, I wanted to share my Callmenter story. Now, <laughs> honestly, I didn't know where this was going to go. Yeah. <laughs> a friend of mine and I both ran fantasy baseball leagues, and they were both losing some members. So we ended up combining the most active members to form a new league in 2014. It is a pretty normal keeper league with four keepers. I like to give my trophies a name, and this one is the Josh Callmenter Championship Trophy. Why, you ask? And yes, I was very curious. (laughs) I will pick up the story on the Wednesday before the 2014 season ended when I dropped Josh into the free agent pool. On Friday, I was in first place in the standings when the second place team outbid me for Josh by $1. That was the last waiver period of the year. Then came Sunday when Callmenter started against the Cardinals. Early in the day, the Pirates lost, securing the division for the Cardinals and causing them to bench all their regular starters. Oh, the hangover lineup. Yep. I was still in first place by a half point in the standings while Kalmenter was seven and two thirds innings into the game. With the last out of the eighth, the second place team's ERA dropped to 3.56468, with the next <laughs> highest ERA being 3.56470, moving him up one point in ERA by 0.0002, thus propelling him past me for the 2014 inaugural championship by one half point in the standings. Our champion was basically decided by one out, and it was the last out Josh Kalmenter got in 2014. So, of course, we named the trophy after him. In the offseason, I sent him a letter explaining the story with a ball in hopes to get it signed. For some reason, my return address got lost, but I had my email on the letter. Always a good idea to include the email in the letter. Josh actually emailed me and thought the story was really funny. After I gave him my return address, he signed the ball and inscribed it with our league name, Babip. I have a picture attached of the trophy. I've still yet to win the league, although I'm back in second this year. I will need a lot of things to go right to win my first. Love the show, but miss beer of the week. It's from Andrew in Aurora, Illinois. What, a, maybe, what maybe an amazing story. Take over first on the last day of the season with a with a start from like Jesus Lizardo or something. <laughs> oh yeah. Oh, we actually had a Lizardo question on Twitter too from Lot49 on Twitter. 
And I believe the question was, what do you believe Lizardo needs to do to be a long-term number three starter? I'm pulling this off of memory. So if I'm paraphrasing incorrectly, I'm sorry. But I think that was the gist of the question. We've talked about Lizardo a few times on this show. And I think I talked about him on the Athletic Baseball show with Keith Law a couple of weeks ago, too. The fastball hasn't been good for Lizardo. The velocity is good, but the pitch isn't good. Bad shapes on both of the fastballs. Now, we've we've talked about some guys who've had fastball problems recently on this show, and it made me wonder, could the Lizardo secret also be possibly working in a cutter instead of leaning on that four-seamer? Yeah, I mean, the cutter is a, is a, is a solution for some of these guys, but I think maybe there's a chance for him a little bit like Ryan Weathers, which is another person we've gotten a question about uh, somewhere, um, where I think that the solution for both of them... I think what's happening right now in the game is that people have been told to throw their four seams. There was like a, there was a five, three, four, five year period in the minor leagues where everyone's like, oh my God, high four seams, high four seams. Everyone, we need to throw high four seams. It's all about four seams and, and low in the zone breakers. Like, we, like look at the Rays. They're doing this. Like, And so everyone was told to throw their four seams, including people that had better two seams and better sinkers. And so they were kind of forced into this thing where they're like throwing four seams. Look at Logan Webb. He's throwing four seams. Actually, his two seam sinker is way better. Uh, Oh, let's just lean into what's better. Ah, you know, you're way better as a sinker guy, even if the league is is prioritizing four seamers. And so uh, I have a feeling that, you know, chasing after four seam spin efficiency has led Lizardo to a below average four seam and a below average sinker where he might have a chance, because the velocity is good, he might still have a chance of an above-average sinker. So I think I would lean into the sinker usage um, for both him and Weathers, because both of them have similar uh, concerns about fastball shapes. Um, And then uh, once you kind of reprioritize yourself as a sinker guy, uh, then you can think about shapes that fit better with the sinker and kind of revamp your other pitches as well. But it'll all start with finding a fastball that works. That's why I'm agreeing with you that a cutter could be it. Uh, I think in this case, maybe in Weathers and Lazard's case, it's actually the sinker. But either way, it's like finding a fastball that works. I mean, that's that's what Burns what Burns needed to do, right? He threw a poor four seam. Uh, this, you know, he actually did go to sinker, but he also went to a cutter. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, he went from four seam cutter as a slider to cutter as a fastball, sinker as a fastball, four seam as a afterthought. Should we head off the uh, impending Mitch Keller questions at the past? Like, would that also work for Mitch Keller? Uh, I don't know. But do, do you have any uh, of those, like, sort of Cole Mentor type stories where you, you like, won on the last day? I remember I've, I, I missed out on uh, the Razzball best ball uh, this year by two points. Then they happened in the last game of the day. But I don't know that I know exactly what play did it to me. You know? <laughs> I just know that I was refreshing a lot and was like, ah, I'm trying to remember if there are any last plays that put me over the top for either a season long win or even like a big DFS win. That'd be amazing. I think the one play that almost cost me a league was a Jake cave. I think it might've even been a game 163 situation oh, where no. I want to say cave. Where you're took, like, I have, I have this one, one. <laughs> what? Yeah. Another game? <laughs> I, and I think I had left cave in my lineup. And if I remember the story correctly, I'll try to dig this up. I think I left cave in my lineup and he was in for game 163. And if he did nothing, I was fine. As long as he didn't, like if he didn't play, I was fine. Yeah. But if he went over four, I think it was going to be a problem. And there was something, uh, I'm, I'm probably botching the story because I should have dug this up before we started recording, but yeah. th- there's something there. It's one involving Jake Cave in mixed labor where it was a weird one. It was it was definitely not like, oh, he hit a home run, so I won. Like Those stories are somewhat more common, but seeing the very granular, oh, and that guy got one more out and I lost my league because of it, yeah. like, that is incredible. Uh, that's like uh you know jake cave went over three instead of over four so i won (laughs) right they pulled him you know they pulled him in the seventh and and it may have been there may have been like a scoring related decision there like a like a fielder's choice or an error or something that actually did come into play that was pretty bizarre that kept it from working against me but uh yeah i I just I, i love i love the idea of when something odd like that happens 
reaching out to the player and then and getting a cool signed baseball back. Josh Commenter's got like an 80 grade signature, by the way. It can also kind of go in any direction. I mean, uh, <laughs> you're taking a chance. I think I, I think I asked, who was it? I asked Carl Crawford. No. Oh, I did. I asked, uh, Dust, I asked, uh, Dexter Fowler why he didn't steal more bases for my fantasy team. He didn't like that, did he? No. <laughs> no, that was a bad idea. <laughs> It didn't go that badly. He just didn't like the question. So I, I, I was like, I know. I, I'm just kidding. I don't really care. But you you are a really fast guy. You know, uh, why don't, like, do you think about, like, stealing more bases? Because remember Dexter Fowler never, he stole, like, you know, 15 or so. or Right? He was always the kind of guy who stole a few. It, we ended up salvaging it and having an okay conversation. But did not like that framing. So... <laughs> I mean, it, it comes back to that whole, like, you know, let's not refer to it as, as owning the players. And, and it's a little bit weird to, like, then talk to a player about, you know, owning them in your fantasy league. And why not, you know, it, it kind of borders on that, like, you know, you lost my team the game. Like, you know, they don't want to hear that. <laughs> don't Don't go, like, search out. Like someone searched out Lucas Giolito's wife. Don't ever do that. And and DM'd her saying, uh, you need to Venmo me some cash because Giolito's blow up today cost me a parlay. Yeah. Never, ever, 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 ever do that. Like under any circumstance. There's no reason to do that. I just can't even the mental hurdles there, like is there some sort of entitlement thing there? Or like what? I I don't know what drives people to choose to do that. But if you've ever thought about doing that, it, the answer is to not do it. Yeah. It's amazing. Well, anyway, on that note. Well, send us your Josh Colmenter <laughs> uh, award type stories. I mean, yes, it's, it's that, that time of year. Yeah, that one turned out really good. And, 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 and the, the, the best part of it is it's a positive thing. They Absolutely. Do, they don't, it's, fine, it's fine to tell someone that, that they won you some money or that they won you a fantasy league i think that they because then then the in, in the end you're saying something positive you know the opposite it's not really their fault they're trying their hardest they're trying to win they're trying to play they're not trying for you <laughs> they're not i they're guess trying is that is that the, is that the weird thing that people don't get it could be they're not trying for you they don't even know you exist. They don't even know you exist. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I'm sorry to burst the bubble on fandom like that. But. Yeah, Jake Cave doesn't know that he's a part of a, a mixed labor situation. He doesn't, <laughs> yeah. he doesn't care. He's just trying to either trying to win or trying to pad his stats at that point. He's just trying to make the roster next year. Too. Yeah, right. Like, yeah. So, yeah, if, if he cost me a labor title, I wasn't going to go tweet at him. Like, hey, thanks, jerk. It's like, why, why, would, why would I do that? Why would but, you do that? Send us your good stories, uh, rates and barrels at theathletic.com. On Twitter, he's at, you know, Saris. I am at Derek Van Riper. We've still got that 50% off deal oh. going at The Athletic right now. No more emails about the, the giveaway. <laughs> uh, thank you for those emails. I, I I will try to get back to you, but if I don't get back to you, it's just because I got too many emails. It was a poorly thought out idea that I did. On the, by the seat of my pants, I will send out 10 to the first 10 who responded. It's the only sort of equitable thing I can come up with. And um, if I don't, if you don't hear from me, like, I'm sorry, I didn't, I didn't get like 80 cases of beer. <laughs> 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 so, <laughs> thank you so much for everybody who did reply. And uh, uh, I'm excited to, to have people try it. It tastes to me. It, for a little mini beer of the month thing, uh, sticky stuff by Full Tilt with my face on it tastes beautiful because I'm beautiful. But uh, also, uh, <laughs> it tastes a little bit like a Union Jack, um, uh, which is an old Firestone Walker uh, West Coast IPA, uh, but it's sweeter. It has like a lemon, real uh, hard, kind of a hardcore lemon taste to it. So uh, kind of reminds me, it's a kind of a blend of new school and old school because it's got... It's got this lemony sweetness to it that they didn't used to have back in their old kind of malty West Coast IPA. It's not as bitter as it was, but it is a little bit more malty than you might expect. So it's kind of a, a blend of old school and new school West Coast IPAs, I would say. 
So I'm gonna I'm gonna co-sign on the Eno recommendation, even though I haven't had it yet. I thought and... you were gonna co-sign on me being beautiful. Sure, yeah, <laughs> I, I can do that too. But I'm I'm sorry to whoever number eleven would have been because I'm probably getting the beer that would have gone to number eleven. So <laughs> we will try to make it up to you. Maybe we can need to do some merch or, or something. I don't know. People seemed really yes. excited about that. It's an awesome thing. I've to be honest, I've never oh. actually drank a beer with my friend's face on the can before. So that'll be a, a new achievement for me. I never thought I would be on a can. <laughs> uh, the other thing is, um, uh, give us ideas for merch. That could be a good thing to email us. Yeah, what would you like? If we had rates and barrels, logos, or, or... Yeah, things, funny things we say, or, or like, like outlines of our ideas. faces. Yeah, what would it be? Yeah, you know. What's that site where you can do the... Uh, uh, you can do like a greeting? You know, like a third, like a cameo. Oh, yeah. Would, would, do people want cameos? Like would, would like a rates and barrels message? I've done one of those. I, I, I recorded something for somebody who won a league... And I, I gave him a congratulations. But yeah. I also, in order to do it right, uh, I asked it for a couple of um, less than stellar uh, stories or adjectives. Like I, I kind of roasted them a little bit. You got to add a little bit of roasting because otherwise it's just all, it's just all uh, fun and games, you know. So I think they, I think they liked it. Yeah, that I seems do, I to be the spirit. Those. those are kind of, of the, fun. Yeah. So I don't so know. What, like, Someone you you tried to use a cameo from a major league player to break up with his girlfriend. Did they just reject it, or did they do it and then they sent the they cameo did it and, and, the, and the breakup didn't happen? The person that 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 hired them deserved, <laughs> absolutely deserved. Which is probably I can tell pretty you hilarious. Which player it was, but uh, my Twitter feed is too full. No, I mean there are certain uh, certain things you should not do with the with the cameo and um, <laughs> ending a relationship is one of them. Sorry. Do you think people oh, have used cameo God. to quit jobs? I bet that's something people have done. <laughs> Hi, this is Hino Saris. <laughs> <laughs> Brad will not be coming back to work Brad, on Monday. Brad won the DraftKings special. <laughs> <laughs> Brad hit the Millie Maker this weekend. <laughs> He's, He's not coming back to work. <laughs> he says, in conclusion. F you. <laughs> right, yeah. And I'm sorry, I'm going to curse here. I'm sorry. This is not me speaking, by the way. I love you. <laughs> All right. Brad, we, however, uh, doesn't. We have gone too long. <laughs> our, our our heads have swollen uh, in size. So, But let us know. Right. If there's merch or something that you now. would actually be interested in, I don't know, mugs, beer glasses, shirts, hats. We'll try to make some stuff if people actually uh, would you know would buy it. That's that's sort of the the key thing. If we're going to go to the trouble of making merch, we just want to make sure people actually want it. There should be a little bit of demand before we make a supply. At least that's what I'd hope. Uh, but on Twitter, as I mentioned, Enoceris. I'm at Derek Van Iper. That's going to wrap things up for this episode of Rates in Barrels. We're back with you on Monday. Thanks for listening. Mm-hmm.